Amen. That's a blessing. Boy, that's what we need to do this morning. Amen. Let's bow the knee. Let's take our Bibles and stand, please. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. So exciting to see all of you here in church this morning. And our first time guests and visitors, welcome. Those who haven't been here for a while, welcome back. We're delighted you're here. And we're praying the Lord will do a great work in your heart today. We're going to look at a subject entitled, A Marriage Made in Heaven. And we're going to see how the, what the Lord's prescription for marriage is today. I want you to go to Matthew 19. And uh, this passage coincides very well with Genesis chapter 2. And we're just going to lay some principles down about, about marriage today. And some things maybe for some of you will be eye-openers and eye-enlightening. And we're praying God will do a great work in our hearts today. Matthew 19, if your neighbor next to you doesn't have a Bible, would you be kind enough to share your Bible with them? So they know where we're at. We're going to be predominantly in Matthew 19, and we'll quote a few other passages that hopefully you'll, you'll follow in your notes. Matthew 19, go down to verse 3 with me, and we're going to read to verse 9. Would you follow together as I read, please? The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And let me pause there and just tell you what he's saying there. The Pharisees who were the leading religious leaders of that day, were asking Jesus this question. Uh, and I'm going to paraphrase it for you, even though that's probably not the right thing to do, but I'm going to paraphrase it. They're asking the question, is it okay for a man and woman to divorce? That's the context where they're starting from. Is it okay to divorce? So read it again with me. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Not only is it okay to divorce, are there, are, are there, are, are there, is it open-ended? Can I basically divorce for any reason? And so Jesus now is going to answer them. Remember now, Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? He is the living Word. He's the author of the Word of God. Okay? So we have to remind ourselves as Jesus answers, we need to see ourselves as kind of in the backdrop there, listening to Him, give them the proper definition of marriage. And He said in verse 4, He answered and said unto them, Have ye not read? That's a good thing to do when you have a question. Go to the Bible. Amen? Have you not read that he which had made them in the beginning made them male and female? Underline those verses. Aren't you glad God knows about what's going to happen in our world long before we do? He knew about all the things going on in our world right now. And he says, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And they say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? Now, for the context, in case I don't get to it, you might want to jot in the margin Bible. He's, they're referring to Deuteronomy 24. Now, I don't have time to get all into the context of Deuteronomy 24, but in one verse, Jesus clarifies how they were misinterpreting or twisting it to fit their lifestyle. And he says, they asked the question, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement to put away? Another, they're saying, well, Moses said we could divorce. What's the big deal? And so Jesus said, he saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, and he's talking about Genesis chapter 2, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except to be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. I want you to notice this morning, Jesus Christ is giving us God's Son, 
who is God in, who is God incarnate, is giving us God's authoritative word concerning marriage. And I think very aptly today, I want us to look at the topic entitled "A Marriage Made in Heaven." Now, it's not. I'm not going to finish everything I need to say this morning. You need to come back tonight and listen to the message entitled "Tying Up Loose Ends." We need to tie up some loose ends there. We're going to see what the Bible has to say about that. Many of you, Bible students, you've read Ephesians chapter five, and Ephesians five describes the mutual roles of the husband and wife. But I don't think most people understand where God is going in Matthew chapter five. And I'm going to teach you something tonight that you probably have never heard before. That's in the Bible, but it probably has not been read and interpreted correctly. You need to come tonight to hear that. And the next week we're going to be looking at the subject of conflicts, and where it's a message entitled "Order in the House." How do you deal with conflicts? Where do conflicts come from? How do you resolve those conflicts? Every marriage has conflicts, okay? Now I want to warn all the husbands. Today, as I preach, you're, you're going to feel a sharp jab in your side. That's from your wife, okay? That's the Holy Spirit speaking to your wife. Say, see, I told you you were wrong. You know, she's going to say that, okay? She's going to jab you like that there. And so just be aware of that. I didn't provide padding for the husbands to guard your ribs there. You're going to have one side that's going to be hurting after today, amen? And uh, wives, you might be something there. Your husband's going to kind of look at you and say, see, I told you he, I was right. You know, we're not, this, this, these series of messages are not about who's right and who's wrong. Only one author is right, that's God, okay? And so I want you to bear with me for a few things this morning when we get into the message. You know, uh, we want to know what God's mind is on these things. Every subject being spoken of in the Bible, we always want to know God's mind. We want to know what God has to say about the matter because none of us are experts. And as we consider that this morning, I want you to come and approach this, this time of preaching where God gives us a teachable heart, an open spirit. And to say this one thing, Lord, if I'm not married, but I desire to get married, Lord, would you help me? To follow your principles. And if we are married to say, Lord, your word is divine and inspired. And Lord, I just want to be obedient to your word. And I want to be a husband that lives up to what you say I should do. And I want to be a wife that lives up to what you say I should do. It's not about who's right or who's wrong. It's not about who's superior and inferior. It's not about that. It's about the fact God wants everyone here to have a holy marriage that results in a happy marriage. So let's go to prayer this morning and we'll ask God, God our Father, to meet with us and help us today. Now, Lord, today, we just thank you already for the reading of the scriptures and, uh, God, what the choir has sung. And, uh, Lord, even the, the hymns we sang today that were carefully chosen and prayed over and the song, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we, we realized this morning we were entering to the holy presence of an almighty God. Lord, you are creator. You are the sustainer. You are sovereign. You are almighty. You're the God who never changes. You're the Father above all. We thank you, God. You are God only wise. We thank you. You're the God of all hope and the God of all mercy. The God who, who never fails. You're the God of all love. And you're the God of all grace. And this morning as we come to this service, we acknowledge our frailties. We acknowledge our weaknesses. We, we, we acknowledge even, Lord, our incompetencies and our inadequacies. And, Lord, we come to you today begging you for help because the Bible says that you sanctify us through your truth. And we pray that the truth of God's word would speak to us and get through the hardness of our hearts and to help us understand God's mind about marriage in the home. Father, bless every home represented here. Bless that single people here today would marry godly and marry right and realize, God, you are concerned about our homes and you are concerned about our marriages and god you have something in your word that touches every facet of where we're at help us this morning that lord that everyone will be encouraged and exhorted from the word of god bless our time together and through this today we pray that you'll help us to see that marriage 
is a testimony and a picture of Christ, his love for his church. And so today, help us to sing these things. Speak to us. Tenderize our hearts, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, since 2004, up until this year, our church has had a married couples retreat. I just kind of felt that beginning of 2004 that we need to start having, or actually 2005, that we need to have something like that once a year, typically about the first quarter of the year, where we would ask our, our married couples to kind of take a Friday night off through Saturday morning, and we'd bring a special speaker in just to encourage us about our marriages and recalibrate things. And I, I have to say, honestly, I believe that those those married couples retreats have been very beneficial. They've been very helpful in, in many, many ways. But kind of this year, just because of many things going on, and also because uh, we, we have a a large number of married couples that are unable to make those retreats just because of scheduling and other dynamics and work and things like that. I, I just have had a burden for all those years for all the couples who could not go, who could not benefit from it. And Lord impressed on my heart, not that I'm an expert because I'm not, and but, but God, Lord burdened on my heart that for all of our, our couples who are not able to attend these kind, of, uh, uh, these kind of events, that we needed just to spend some time as a church emphasizing, talking about marriage and the home and raising children, things of that nature there. Now, let me say this to you today. Of all the services I love to do, one of my favorite services I love to do is to, is to do a marriage ceremony. I love doing marriage ceremonies. Those are one of my fun parts in, in, in the ministry. You talk to most pastors, they enjoy doing it, but there are always two things pastors are nervous about. They're nervous about marriages and they're nervous about funerals because they don't want to mess up on those. But I, but I enjoy doing those and ministering to people and I, I love doing marriages because just, just seeing a couple come together and what, what, what God's doing in their life, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And you might consider that these next few services that they're just kind of like marriage counseling for, for some. And you might consider it's like just re-going through your ceremony some. And there's a lot of you, I did not have the privilege of marrying you. And, and I kind of tell people jokingly, if they're having trouble, I said, well, who married you? And they, they'll tell me, and I say, that's your problem. I didn't marry you, amen, you know? And, uh, but that's not really the issue. I'm just kind of joking with it being facetious. But really, the key to this matter, we've got to get God's mind in every fast of our life. And we have to understand, God did not design marriage to be hell on earth. God designed marriage to be heaven on earth. God designed that you and I have a holy marriage. Listen, a lot of people here have the conception, I want a happy marriage. I'm going to tell you something this morning. You cannot have a happy marriage unless you first start off with a holy marriage. And you've got to have a holy marriage that leads to a happy marriage. And there are going to be some this morning as I preach today. And again, you're probably getting a little, little nervous and you may be getting a little bit apprehensive and you're going to be concerned because there may be some nobody knows except you that there may be you're in a situation. You feel like I'm in a hopeless situation and you're kind of thinking, I can't turn this around or this can't turn around. And, and there may be some on the brink right now that you just feel like things are about to fall apart. That's true in every congregation, every church. And my, my goal today, is, first of all, I don't want anybody feeling like today pastors coming down on my case that is not the case today i don't want anybody feeling like today that uh, that they have a failed marriage or i don't want somebody thinking today that they get their thumbs up in their in their in their like this like well i've got the best marriage i'm going to tell you there are no perfect marriages wait till after today amen there are no perfect marriages. And so we have to realize today, we need to get God's mind on certain matters here concerning that. And we find Jesus at a critical juncture of his ministry. He's in the third year of his ministry. He will be going to the cross shortly after this. He is approached by the leading, uh, the leading religious authorities of his days, the Pharisees, about this matter of marriage and divorce. So this series we're looking at today, when we get done with it, 
It's entitled Yours Forever. Our, our, our whole goal through this is that you feel, if you're married right now, we want you to feel like, you know what, I'm yours forever. That's how I want you to feel. It's just like when I, when I give the final pronouncement to a man and woman that's getting married and they've done their vows, you know, we, they, one of the things they say is, I'll be yours forever. And I, com- and I present them to the congregation. I say, I now present to you Mr. and Mrs. And uh, the congregation gets up and applauds, applauds, uh, you know, applauds them and is thankful for that. But we want you to just have that sense that, you know, I'm committed to this thing for life and I want to get God's mind and help with this. So without further ado, let's get right into the passage this morning and look at some things here. First of all, notice in verses 3 to 5, if you're taking notes today, and I hope you are, notice in verses 3 to 5, we see the inspired precept. Now, marriage is a precept. There are a precept. It's a precept in the sense there's there's a order, there's a structure, there's a command, there's a directive that God gives. Marriage was not created out of convenience. Marriage was created for compatibility, for companionship. And notice here, we, we're going to look at Jesus addressing this matter concerning marriage. Now, when we start off, we have to ask the question, what is marriage? And I want to just share with you some quotes people have said. Some of it is facetious. Some of it are joking, uh, some joking type of things. But others are just very, very, very true. For as somebody said, marriage is a union, a union of the heart, a union of the soul, a union of the minds. But wait until you have to pay those union dues. Someone said marriage is like a cage. One sees the birds outside desperate to get in and those inside desperate to get out. Someone said this marriages are made in heaven. But then again, so is thunder, lightning and hail. Amen. But I want to tell you this morning, marriage is the highest of all human relationships. Marriage is authored and originated by God. Listen to what the Bible says in, in Hebrews 13.4. In Hebrews 13.4, the Bible says marriage is honorable in all. In other words, God sanctioned and ordained marriage, as we'll see. Marriage is honorable, whether you're Christian or non-Christian. God wants everyone to have the right kind of marriage. And as I said earlier, a right kind of marriage begins by emphasizing a holy marriage. Marriage is honorable and all. But he says, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. God did not design that we have uh, relationships that are only reserved for marriage outside of marriage or before marriage. God designed that those specific relationships of intimacy would be conducted through marriage. Marriage has been passed down and accepted as a tradition. Notice Jesus gives us the, the is asked about the concept of marriage. First of all, notice in verse three, as we look at this, this inspired precept, notice we see a subtle trap. The Pharisees come to him and they ask this question. Notice the Pharisees came to him, tempting him. Now, the Pharisees from the beginning, Jesus was he made it very clear to them that he was not in approval of their lifestyles. And where they're coming from takes us back to Matthew chapter five, because Jesus deals with the matter of temptation, lust, marriage and adultery in Matthew chapter five. He kind of pauses that for just a few moments there. But these, these, these Pharisees inside of them, they're very bothered by the fact that Jesus Christ kind of just was unsettling to them in their lives. And they came to him with the purpose of trapping Jesus. They felt like they knew the scriptures better than Jesus. And so they came to him with a question, with the idea they would entrap him. And they said, is it, they asked the question, is it lawful? Is it okay? Is it permissible? Does God allow for a man to put away his wife 
for every cause. Now, the term put away, as we see here and also later on, is where we get our word divorce from. They're asking the question, is it okay, is it permissible that a man can divorce his wife for any reason? Let me just say this this morning. I recognize in our church that there are many who've gone through the difficulty and the challenge and the trauma of divorce one way or the other. And, uh, you know, God, I just want to tell you this morning, God loves you. God loves me. I want to tell you this morning, God, God loves you and he wants you to succeed. And if you've gone through that, we're just praying that God will give you healing in your heart. And God, you'll find the, the hope in Jesus Christ. And, and you'll find that, you know, the marriage I'm in now, I'm just going to stay at it. And I'm going to get my feet in deep and I'm going to get my roots in deep in the word of God and grow in the Lord. And so as we get into this a little bit today, I don't want you to feel like you're, you know, well, is that, does that mean God's not for me? God's for you. God is not for divorce, but God is for you. And I want you to understand this morning what God has to say about that. Now, these Pharisees were coming because in their lifestyle, as we'll see in a moment, the Pharisees were not living right. A number of these Pharisees that came to Jesus had divorced their wives for other for reasons other than what's mentioned in verse 9. And because of that, they were married to a, this, to a woman that they knew that Jesus knew the, what was going on with them. So they came to him by trying to justify what they were doing. And they asked the question, is it lawful for a man to, 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 uh, to, uh, to put away his wife for every cause? They're asking about this matter of divorce, and they're trying to get into Deuteronomy 24 and to take how they twisted that passage of Scripture to fit their lifestyle there. And so these Pharisees, they were at the place where, if you, if you know anything about the Jews... Over time, the Jews took the word of God and they, they developed their own sets of laws. They added their own sets of commandments and they got their sets of laws and commandments, which were they added in addition to the word of God. And I want to remind you this morning, we don't need to add anything to God's word. God's word is complete with what he's given to us. We don't take away from God's word. We don't add to God's word. But the Pharisees were doing that. They had their own set of laws. They were rewriting the laws concerning marriage and divorce. Now, tonight, if you, either tonight or next week, I'm going to get into tell you some statistics that you need to listen to. And some of those statistics are very startling statistics. They're very concerning statistics. We have to remind ourselves, as we sit here this morning, we live in a world and a society where marriage is being rewritten. In fact, has been rewritten. Marriage is what the way it's being defined today and is defined is contrary to what God defines in his word. We have to understand society is setting the trend. But I remind you today, we don't follow trends. We follow the truth of the word of God. And we have to remind ourselves today that God, what Jesus Christ establishes in Matthew 19, validates what God gave in Genesis chapter 2, and what validates is the fact that it's truth. But we live in a day and time where everyone's following societal trends. The trend is that we do this, and the trend is we do that. And I want to encourage us today that we be careful that we're not letting the trends uh, affect our thinking and affect how we approach certain things. And that's what these men are doing here. They're asking the question, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? There were Pharisees there that day that had been married more than once, more than twice, more than three times, and, and they basically, they would divorce your wife for things like overboiling the water or if she, she dropped something on the floor or if she didn't cook something uh, the way he wanted it. They basically used it as a cause to invoke a divorce. But really the underlying motive behind it was that those men were lustful. They saw a woman that they rather and they preferred to be with. And so to get out of that marriage relationship, they basically tried to, they twisted Deuteronomy 24 to divorce their wife and to go after the woman they were lusting after. And that's where they're coming from this, this in this matter. But they wanted to try to Defend their lifestyle, defend their decision by trying to snap and snare and trap Jesus so they could they could enforce what they were doing because they knew that they weren't being looked upon very very favorably by the rest of society. And so Jesus here is going to redefine this. And so we see this subtle trap by these Pharisees. But notice Jesus Christ gives us sacred truth. 
Jesus Christ gives us the truth concerning marriage. And so they ask that question of Jesus in verse 3. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read? Now, they were trying to snare Jesus. And Jesus said, Okay, I know where you're going with. You're going to try to take me to Deuteronomy 24. And they do. And he says, have you not read? May I remind us this morning, especially if you're new uh, to new to Christianity or maybe you're not. You haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I want to tell you this morning that you want to be in a church like Heritage Baptist Church. where We believe that the Bible is our authority as Baptists and as Biblicists. We believe that the Bible is our first and final source of authority. We believe that the word the Bible is God's inspired word. Amen. All scriptures inspired by God. We have to remind ourselves today that we, the authority for our life, the final word on things is the word of God. And so Jesus says, well, you know, you're asking me a question, but have you not read? When we have a question about what's going on, we need to go back to the word of God. What does the word of God say about this trend? What does the word of God say about this life choice? What does the word of God say about this matter and that matter? You see, we can get to the place where, we're in, where it says in Proverbs 16, it says every, uh, every way of man is clean in his own eyes. We can self-justify everything we're doing. So it's okay because it looks clean in my eyes. But the Bible says even though the way of man may be clean in his own eyes, it's the Lord who weighs the spirit. And we have to always compare ourselves to the word of God and not bring the word of God down to our level and change it to fit us. And so Jesus is going to give them sacred truth. And in verse four, he says, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Now, Jesus, you uses their question as his platform, as as the starting point to define for them God's intention concerning marriage. Notice a few things this morning about this, if you would. First of all, uh, we have to we have to look at the fact that Jesus speaks about the truth of creation. Look at verse three or four again. He says, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? He's talking about the matter of creation. When God made you and I, he made a spirit, soul and body. Please understand, we were made to be spiritual beings. We were made spirit, soul and body. You go to first Thessalonians chapter five and tell Paul is praying for the believers at Thessalonica. He says, I pray that God would, would say would sanctify you in, in spirit, soul, and body. But the way we function, we have it in reverse. We, we, we function in life, body, soul, and spirit. We, 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 we go after what appeals to our flesh. But God wants us to understand we are spiritual beings. The flesh will, will perish in this life, but the soul continue on after this. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? And so we have to understand, we have to look at this from, this, from the perspective. When God made man, he made man in his image. God is not physical. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. When God made us in his image, he made us with a spirit and with a soul. He made us with an intellect and a will and emotion. God made us people who have feelings. God made us as people who have intelligence and a conscience there. And notice in verse four, God made male first and then he made female out of him. God made man first. So first of all, we see the truth of creation. Notice secondly, God, we see God made man and then he made woman. Notice again, he that at the beginning he made male and female. Man was his prized creation. You go back to Genesis chapter 2. God made Adam. He gave Adam superior intelligence. I mean, Adam was there and God gave him authority and management and stewardship over all of creation. Adam was the one who named all the species. If you don't like the name for a certain species, you've got to blame Adam when you get to heaven one day, man. But he named all the species. I mean, Adam was the most handsome looking man in all the earth. Adam was the most intelligent man on all the earth. Of course, the reason why he was the only man on the earth at that time, amen. 
But Adam was made by God first. And God looked at Adam. Here's this man. He's busy naming the species. He's working. He's diligent. He's caring for the garden. He was the, he was the, he was the best landscaper there ever was. He was the great, greatest botanist there ever was. And he knew everything about horticulture. I mean, he knew all these things. And God saw this man. And God said something about creation. It's the only thing he said about creation that was not good. Remember that? He said, it is not good that man should be alone. Now, everything else he said about creation was great. He said the division of the days, the, the making of the heavens and the earth, the day and the light, night and the day. All the things about creation God said was good. But he said about man, it is not good that man should be alone. So God establishing marriage, notice what he says there. Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? God said, I will make him a helpmeet for him. Now, tonight I'm going to get more in the definition of what is a help me what did god have in mind and what does that mean today did the did the meaning change as it does it have a is as does it have a different twist to that and things like that and we're going to see that tonight but notice god said i see adam doing all these things i've got to make a companion for him i need to have to make someone that's going to fill in the deficiencies and the gaps or to compliment him to be someone that will help him be more fulfilled in his life and so god made eve out of adam god, adam was made out of the dust of the earth but eve was made out of adam god took a rib out of Adam and from that rib he made a woman. She was similar but very different. She was similar but vastly different. She was different than Adam and God brought her to Adam to fulfill his need. He brought a helpmeet to Adam. Adam didn't realize until that moment of time that God wanted him to have someone that would compliment him. Someone that he would share his life with and spend his time together with. So we see number one, we see the truth of creation. Number two, we see God made man and then he made woman. But Jesus goes beyond that. Notice in verse 5, he tells us in verse 5 what is described to us in Genesis 2.24. And this is important. This is sacred truth. God made man. God made woman. Before marriage, they were male, female. Man and woman. After marriage, she's it's man and his wife. That's what we read thereafter, Genesis 2.24. It's man and his wife. God saw a man who needed companionship. It's not good that man should be alone. He wanted this man to have fulfillment in his life. And so he brings Eve to him. And man, he looks at Eve. And here we read in Genesis 2.24 and in Matthew 19, verse 5 here. I believe this was, if you would, the marriage ceremony a message that God gave to Adam and Eve. And he says to these Pharisees something that really burns in their hearts because they knew what Genesis 2.24 says. And he, he said this to him. He was quoting them. He said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Jesus is presenting to them the whole functionality, the purpose, and the cause of marriage. He said marriage occurs when a man realizes it's time for him to start his own home. He's been under the security blanket of his mother and father. Emotionally, they provide security. Financially, they've paid his bills. And if you would, from a from a, a, a security standpoint, they've given him a roof over his head. Mom has prepared his meals. Mom is taking care of his laundry. Dad has taught him different things. But the time comes when a man realizes, I'm a man. It's time for me to step out. It's time for me to build my own home. And he says, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother. He's not saying that they're abandoning his, their father and mother. He's saying at that moment of time that they're leaving the security of that and they're starting their own home. And realizes that when he gets married, he realizes he's taking the responsibility from that father and 
accepting responsibility of taking that daughter to be his wife. They're going to resolve issues together. They're going to build a home together. They're going to have their children. They're going to have a home that's going to be filled with the things of God and with love. He said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother. And notice he shall cleave to his wife. Now, the word cleave that's used here in Genesis 2.24 means to become, to have a oneness with. We get our word fusion from that. Fusion is when you take two different elements and they're, and they're, they're melted, they're merged and brought together. They're consolidated to become one. The two should become one flesh. As we'll see tonight in Ephesians chapter 5, a different word is used. The word joined is used, but has the same meaning. The word joined in Ephesians chapter 5 has the idea of being glued together. How many have ever used a crazy glue? Ever done crazy, used crazy glue before? Years ago, my wife was working on something and she got, I'm not trying to embarrass her, but she was using some crazy glue and she actually got on her fingers and she's a pianist and she, she woke me up one morning. She said, uh, can you get up? I need help. My fingers are like this. You know, she got the crazy glue in her fingers and we got it off. I would praise the Lord for that. But I've heard about people getting crazy glue in their eyelids and I don't even know how they, how they got their eyelids open. But as you know, glue, the, uh, the, the purpose behind glue is to, is to, is to be an adhesive, is to take two elements and, and stick them together. And what God has in mind here is that marriage is to be a relationship where two become one. Two, two different elements merge and become one there. They're cleaving together in one flesh. God pointed that in marriage that they become one in everything they do. And he calls it one flesh here. So we notice here, God, Jesus is bringing them back to Genesis 2.24. He's telling them sacred truth. The sacred truth is God made marriage. The sacred truth is God made man and woman different. We're different. We're different in our ways. And because they're different, God brings them together. He says, can two walk together except they be agreed? And so we want when marriage, God's design is they cleave together and become one flesh. God ruled out when God designed marriage. He decided that he was giving his approval on marriage. Listen again to that. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. The Bible says this about marriage. It says marriage is honorable in all. The Bible says whosoever findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. God has his ultimate and high favor and approval upon marriage and the marriage relationship. In marriage, a man and woman become one. Marriage is, marriage is defined by God, rules out bigamy. It rules out polygamy. It rules out premarital relations. It rules out extramarital relations. It's one man, one woman. That's what it says by God accordingly there. Marriage is sacred truth. God designed marriage for companionship. God designed marriage that the two, the man and the woman, would be lifetime companions. They would, they would, they would share with one another and they'd encourage one another and they go through trials with one another and they have happy times together. God designed marriage for companionship. God designed marriage for commitment. God denied, designed marriage so you get in and get out. God designed marriage that you get in and you stay in. Amen. God designed marriage that you stay in that relationship. God designed marriage for consolidation to become one flesh. There are privileges associated with marriage that only belong in marriage. They do not belong to single people. They do not belong to people that are not married. It belongs only in marriage. When God gave us Matthew 19.5 and Genesis 2.24, basically he was telling us, when you enter into marriage, you're saying to your spouse, when you give those vows, I am yours for Forever. So number one, this morning we see the inspired precept. Marriage is authored and originated by God. Notice number two, Jesus goes beyond that. Jesus takes a step further because in Genesis, God did not have in mind, nor did God need to address that moment of time, the factor that there would be marriages that would have some struggles, marriages that would have difficulties. And so God in Genesis chapter two does not address the issue of divorce. 
Divorce now is brought up here in Matthew chapter 19. Notice in verses 5 and 6, the second thing we see, in marriage, God is designed for an inseparable uh, uh, permanence. An inseparable permanence. God designed marriage to be permanent. Now notice what he says in verses 5 and 6. We read verse 5 already. Look, notice verse 6. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. In marriage, when the preacher, the ordained minister says, I now pronounce you husband and wife, they now are on the, on the journey of being one flesh. They become one emotionally. They become one spiritually. They will become one physically. They will become one financially. And everything they're doing, they become one. But he says in verse 6, Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. Notice, what therefore God is joined together, let not man put asunder. Now, underline those verses there. Because in verse 6, what Jesus said there, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. I quote that in every marriage. Most preachers that do a marriage will do the same thing. But notice this, that was not found in Genesis. Jesus added that to inspired scripture because of the lifestyle and the sins of the Pharisees. And God, Jesus Christ, has taken them a step higher than what society was advocating, a step higher than their traditions were advocating. He was telling them, listen, what God had in mind is this. They become one flesh. And then he says what God has joined together. Listen, this morning, you need to be thankful today if you're married that God joined you together. Amen. And I pray one of the prayers that every husband and wife has when this message is over, you'll turn to your spouse and say, I'm thankful that God has joined us together. I'm thankful for my marriage. I'm thankful for what God has done. He said, well, therefore, God is joined together. He said, but, but, but he said, you don't understand my problems. I, I don't understand your problems, but I understand one thing. The Bible says what God is joined together. He says, let not man put asunder. He's saying very emphatically as the savior of all of mankind, as the God of all creation. He says, let not man put asunder. He says, don't let divorce become an option into your, into your life. Now, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not how our society functions. Listen to Romans chapter 7 concerning God's intent on marriage. When marriage comes together, it is established to a covenant. And this covenant is exchanging of vows between a man and a woman and the exchanging of rings that are symbolic of those vows. Now, those vows take us back to the Old Testament of a covenant. When a covenant was established, it was not established to be broken. It meant that you put your blood and your life on the line when you made that covenant. And so this covenant designed that they were to stay together. That's why I believe in Genesis 2.24, when God said, "What well, therefore God is joined together, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. I really believe that that was the marriage ceremony uh, uh, message that God gave to Adam and Eve, as God brought, because God God was the one who brought Eve to Adam. He brought, he made Eve out of, out of Adam and he brought her back to him and he joined them together as one. And he says, I just want you to understand the principle of marriage, how you need to stay together. But notice in Romans chapter 7, what the apostle Paul tells us about marriage and its permanence. He said in chapter 7, verse 1, know ye not, brethren, that for I speak unto them that know, that know the law, how that the law is dominion over man as long as he liveth. For the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she's loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband is alive or liveth, she be married to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though that she be married to another man. Basically, what God is saying this. You know, the only thing that can break the covenant of marriage up to that point of time, up, uh, as far as scripture is concerned, is death itself. He says, that's why we said, till death do us part. We know that's in our, in our marriage vows, till death do us part. Because that coincides with scripture. You are married until death do you part. But notice this here. Jesus had to address the, the, uh, something in verse 6 that was not prevailing in that society, not prevailing in this society. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. The marriages which have been sealed by covenant, by commitment, have had divorce come in. Divorce is hard. Divorce is traumatic. 
Divorce is costly. Divorce leads to emotional upheaval. There's, there's, a, there's scars that you take with you through that. And if you've gone through that, you understand what I mean by that. And so God in his tent here was saying, listen, I want to bring you as Pharisees back to something. You're trying to use scripture to justify your lifestyle. I'm going to use scripture to tell you what God's intention was. And God's intention was that divorce was not to be entertained in a married couple's relationship. They're not to, he says, let not man be put asunder. It's kind of like a man and woman that went to the county clerk. And they went to get their marriage license. And we counsel married couples. We always tell them the month before they get married, be sure you go to the county clerk. Make sure you get your marriage license. Make sure that uh, before, well, after the ceremony that I sign it off so it's legal there, that you're, you're technically legal there and things like that. And this couple went to the county clerk to get their marriage license. And after he gave them their license and everything, of course, it had to be filled by the preacher. He deadpanned and said to them, no refunds, no exchanges, no warranties. And I think that's kind of the concept we have to have about marriage. No refunds, no exchanges, no warranties. You're in it for life. I'm kind of reminded about the story about a, a man and woman, and I've told the story many times, they were celebrating their, their silver anniversary. Silver anniversary, they were married for 50 years, and uh, they were having a celebration with some friends, and uh, the friends were asking, well, what's the secret to you staying married for 50 years? That is an incredible thing. How is it possible that you stayed married for 50 years? And the husband said this, he said, well, it all goes back to our honeymoon. He said, we decided on our honeymoon, we were going to go to the Grand Canyon, and we decided we were going to rent some mules and go on a, go on a guided tour of these, on top of these mules all the way from the top of Grand Canyon to the bottom of Grand Canyon. And so we were looking forward to that day. And the first day, we woke up very early that morning on our first day of our honeymoon. And we got out there, and we'd already paid the money. And we went to the location they told us to go to. And we got our two donkeys, and my and uh, the guide was in, in the front. And then behind my guide was my wife, and I was behind my wife. And we everything was going good for about 100 feet. And then the donkey my wife was on, it stopped abruptly. And as it did, so it stopped so abruptly that my wife, who didn't have her footing on it, or wasn't holding on to the, the rain, very well she fell off the horse and almost tumbled over the cliff she got herself up before i could get off my my, my donkey the man said and he says she got up and she brushed herself off like this and she looked at the donkey and said that's one she got back on the donkey and went down another 200 feet they thought everything was going well then the donkey stopped abruptly again and she tumbled off and almost went over the cliff again she quickly got herself back up dust herself up looked the donkey in the eye said that's two she got back on the donkey and her husband went, I wonder what she's got in mind here. She gets on the donkey and 50 feet later, the donkey stops again and abruptly goes over and, uh, and she falls over. She hits the ground. This time she goes up to the donkey, looks in the eye, goes into her saddlebag, pulls out a 357 and shoots the, the donkey right between the eyes. Boom. That's three. Her husband gets off the donkey, says, honey, we've only been married one day. I can't believe what you did. I mean, you just killed a donkey. She said, that's one. Now, if you're having trouble in your marriage, I'm not advocating that's what you do for marriage, all right? I saw some wives, their eyes were glittering. I said, now that gives me hope, amen? Do death do us part, amen? Marriage is built on trust. You know what happens when you're at the altar, you exchange your vows? You know what you're saying to that woman or that man? I want you to trust me. And I trust you. Marriage must be the relationship of ultimate trust. There should be no secrets. If you go to Genesis 2.25, the Bible says the man and his wife were naked, but they were not ashamed. You know what he's telling us there? There are no secrets in the closet. There's no secrets on their phones. There's no secrets on their Facebook page. There's no secrets. They didn't have hidden passwords where they could not find out what the other was doing. I mean, everything was open for both of them. Marriage is built on trust. Listen, we must be husbands and wives that are 100% trustworthy. Marriage is built on investment. 
For your marriage to stay long and stay true, listen, we've got to be in a place I tell every marriage couple, every married couple at, at the marriage altar, make sure you treat your marriage like a savings account. Always be sure you're putting more in than you're taking out. Make sure you treat it as the best investment you have. You want to get a good rate of return on your marriage, you better be putting something in it. Don't be one-sided where only one of the spouses is putting something in it. You've got to both equally work on this. Yeah, there'll be some days where maybe your wife is putting more into it or your husband may be putting more into it. But there needs to become a time when you balance it out. At the end of the day, both of you are making equal 100% involvement. By the way, marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is 100-100. 100-100 in everything we do there. You go to a justice of peace and they'll marry you. They'll, they'll go through their, they'll go through their book, whatever that says, but there's really no passion for you to stay in it. I'm going to tell you as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, the Baptist preacher, our heart's desire is that you stay inside your marriage. Amen. And so notice it needs to be built on trust. It needs to be built on commitment. Listen, the Bible says in Proverbs 18:22, husbands, whoso findeth the wife, findeth the good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. The Bible says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. The Bible says in Proverbs 31:11, wives, where it says to the wives that the heart of her husband does safely trust in him, so that in her, so that he shall have no need to spoil. I just say today, as we look at marriage, it's rough and it's rocky and there are bumps in the road. But I remind you today, God designed marriage that it be a permanent, they'd be an inseparable permanence in our marriage. We see the inspired precept. We see the inspired, we see the inseparable permanence. By the way, Henry Ford made a good statement. Someone asked him at his 50th anniversary, the founder of Ford Motor Company, they asked him, what is the secret to your lasting marriage? He says, same thing like the car business, just stick to one model. Amen. But notice the third thing this morning. But you notice in verses 7 and 9, Jesus has just addressed the principle of marriage. He's laid the foundation. By the way, the foundation is Jesus Christ. Amen? And notice in verses 7 and 9, he speaks us about the incessant perils. There are still perils in marriage. I wish I could tell you the day you get married and you say, I do to each other. And the preacher says, you're, uh, you know, you're pledging your life to one another. I wish I could tell you that your marriage is going to be problem free. It's not going to be problem free. There are going to be bumps along the way. There are going to be bumps in the road. You're going to have challenges. You're going to have difficulties. You're going to find out that you're going to have personality clashes. You're going to have strong disagreements. You're going to find out that you don't agree on certain things. You're going to find out that your tastes are different. And one's a night owl. And one's an early morning riser. And one likes spicy food. The other one doesn't like spicy food. And one likes sushi. The other one doesn't like sushi. One likes pupusas. The other one doesn't like pupusas. I mean, there's all these different things. One likes oatmeal. The other doesn't like oatmeal. You have to find a way to make your marriage work because two are to become one. And so notice Jesus here, after he quotes to them, and he adds in verse 6, God designed the marriage to be permanent. They say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement to put her away? Listen, wait a minute. If that's the case, if God never intended divorce, why is it that we have Deuteronomy 24 that tells that where Moses gave instruction about divorce? And Jesus clearly answered that question. Because again, they're trying to trap him. They're trying to ensnare him. They're trying to get him. They're trying to get him to justify their lifestyle, which was unbiblical and wrong. And frankly, for those Pharisees, many of those Pharisees were living in sin. And Jesus had to recalibrate that and get them back full circle. And he said to them, verse 8, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you not to put away, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Here's what he's saying. 
The Israelites had been in Egyptian bondage for 440 years. They got up close to the leading empire of the world, which was Egypt. Egypt was the modern day city of the world. I mean, everything that was leading edge, everything as far as societal trends was going on in Egypt. And Egypt was a country that was that was filled with idolatry, was also filled with immoral behavior. And there was many marriages and divorces going on in Egypt. The Israelites saw this kind of thing. Now they're in the wilderness. If you read through, if you read uh, carefully through Exodus and especially through numbers, you realize that there were just issues going on in the hearts and in the tents of those Israelites there. And one of those problems was that the men were very lustful men. And so God God saw that during that time when Moses was out in the wilderness, that men, some of those men had remarried more than once and they had they, they, they divorced for an incorrect way with their wives. They didn't divorce scripturally and so forth like that. And there were all these things going on. And so he says, you know, Moses had to write Deuteronomy 24 because of the hardness of your hearts. You would not follow what God had to say in Genesis chapter 2. So he said, I had to... Moses wrote it to set some boundaries, to set some guidelines to help them understand, you know, if you're in this situation, here's how you have to live. And if you're in this situation, here's what God wants you to do. Divorce was not something new in the New Testament. It goes all the way back to that when we find it first mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 24. So they're trying to get justify their lifestyle. So notice what Jesus says. It's because of the hardness of your heart. You know what happens in our marriages? When we are, when we get married and differences arise and there's conflicts arise and there's, there's these, these insecurities that arise that, that these insecurities affect our emotions and, and affect our romanticness and things like that. Here's what happens over time. If, if it, if the marriage winds up being one-sided, one, one partner is trying to make it work and the other one just has challenges and difficulties, here's what happens over time. It's not long over time that the one who's trying to make it work but it's just, it's not happening, they get what the Bible calls a wounded spirit. And the wounded spirit winds up getting to the place that if things don't change, instead of them getting softer, they, they wind up going from, from being hurt to being hardened. Now, I want to challenge you this morning in the spiritual realm. If you've been hurt in your Christian life, be careful that your hurt doesn't harden your heart. That's how a root of bitterness comes up. And we have to be very, very careful that wounds over time, that they, they do heal over, but they get, they get scar tissue over that. And scar tissue can be very hurtful. And you'll notice over here that Jesus said, I, you know, Moses wrote that because of the hardness of your heart. There was, but he said in verse 8, it was not so from the beginning. That was not God's intention. God said, listen, I gave you the guidelines. I gave you the restrictions. I gave you the commandments. Now Moses had to write Deuteronomy 24 to get some boundaries and, 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 and some semblance of all that. Now notice if you went verse 9. Now Jesus goes a step beyond all that. Again, he's authority. Notice again, in his authority, he defines for his God desires that mar- marriage be permanent. But now he tells us about the perils and what do you do here in verse 9 jesus and this is a whole different message but i'm going to touch on it for a moment in verse 9 jesus deals with the matter of of divorce and remarriage is divorce permissible by god and is remarriage permissible notice verse 9 and i say unto you because he was dealing with pharisees who were living in sin I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, whosoever shall divorce her, except to be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. Now, Jesus is being very, very strong about it. Here's what he's saying. He said, if, and he's talking to these Pharisees, he says, listen, you Pharisees, whosoever, and he's talking to them. He says, whosoever of you, you are married, and you decide you're going to divorce your wife. He says, if you divorce your wife for any other reason other than immorality on her part, and he uses the word fornication, not adultery. He says, if it be for any reason other than fornication, he says, and you remarry, he says, you have committed adultery. Here's what Jesus is saying. The only exception to, to this matter of, of that where, where God has a very narrow view for divorce is only if there's immorality has slipped into the marriage. 
and the partner who's the innocent victim has a difficult time reconciling. The two of them can't reconcile. There's a problem there. They're not trying to reconcile. They're not. There's a pride issue in the way, and there's contention and conflict there, and they're not trying to get together. And he says that, and the one who did who did sin, the one who did sin in the marriage, they go off and marry someone else. He's saying that person has committed adultery. That person has broken the marriage covenant. He says you've broken the covenant there. You've not done right. Or he says if you like you Pharisee, you have divorced your wives for other than for fornication. He says that you've remarried. You are living in adultery. You're not living right before God. And here's what he's telling them. That doesn't mean God wanted them to break that marriage they're in, but he's telling them you need to get right with God. You're not right with God. You're living in adultery. You're living in sin. You've got to get this thing right with God. Now we need to stop for a minute and say, wow. Oh, that's pretty powerful. That's pretty strong language. That makes me feel kind of like, wow, you know what's going on here? But Jesus is clarifying. God, God desires that we have order in our lives. And God desires, by the way, as I said earlier, God desires that we have a holy marriage. So look again, Jesus said in verse 9, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except to be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her which is put away, does commit adultery. He's saying the same thing there about this matter, that if you divorce your wife, and and then, you know, it's just saying, you know, you guys need to to get some counsel on this matter, and make sure you understand what God's Word is saying on this. He said, be very careful that you don't take action that's going to lead you into adultery there. And except for fornication is the only exception for divorce and remarriage that the Bible gives there. Now, notice what I want you to see this morning on that, because there's a whole different subject. Subject on this, I want to get to another time. What I want you to understand, Jesus is helping us understand two things in verses 89. Every marriage has risks and perils. Every marriage has risks and perils. Listen, our marriages are only as good as we are walk with God. Only as good as our devotion to God. So I want to give you some guidelines as we're almost done. Notice, first of all, guard your marriage against lust. And from being ensnared into a fair that will, that will destroy many lives. God gave us one command when lust comes about. And every man is susceptible to lust. Every woman could fall to lust. And the Bible gives us one command. Flee youthful lust. Run from it. The moment you see it, it's coming about. And those urges come, those desires come. You need to run from that thing. You need to get your eyes off that. That's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 even defined lust. He said, if a man just even looks on a woman and looks and lusts after, he's committed adultery in his heart already. That's pretty strong. And he's telling us, he's defining just how sin originates. Listen, what the Bible tells us, sin, the come about of sin begins with lust. And when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. So number one, we must guard our marriage. We must put safeguards in our marriages to keep ourselves from being stared into a fear that will destroy many lives. Here's the thing. We need to be truthful with our spouses about our relationships. We need to be truthful with our spouses about where we're at. We need to be truthful with our spouses about what's going on. We need just to be upfront. Listen, if we're struggling in that area, we're not living the truth we're going to have struggles in every relationship we have secondly let's remember this the devil is out to shipwreck every marriage in every home the bible says a house divided shall not stand we need to work at being under the word of God to weatherproof our home against the attacks of Satan, the attacks of the flesh. Let's remind ourselves today that sometimes it's a tendency as you get inundated and bombarded by the by by the news and the media that we tend to think, well, that's just what society's doing. And we can't let the trends in society be the guiding light. The guiding light for you and me is the word of God. I'll say something about this when we get into conflicts, but I'll remind you today, every marriage needs to be bathed every now and then. Not, not just dipped into, but bathed. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 31, 
where the Bible encourages us to not let not bitterness and wrath and anger and malice and evil speaking and unforgiveness and unkindness get into our marriages there. We need to remind ourselves that we not give place to the devil. We must remember that Satan's looking to come through the back door, through some open window, to make place in our home, to be a squatter in our lives, to be a squatter in our marriages, to uproot and destroy our marriages. And you watch right here as we get into this in another message, you'll see how Satan did that very thing with Adam and Eve, and through that, sin came into the world. I'm just saying today, we must safeguard our marriages there. We've seen three things so far this morning. We've seen the inspired precept. God is the author of marriage. We see that marriage was designed to be inseparable in its permanence. We see that there's still perils that we face in our marriage. We've got to constantly work on our marriage. We've got to work on our communication. We've got to work at the purity of our marriages. We've got to work at, in our home lives and just working, making sure that the things are right between us and our spouse. But notice the last thing today. Would you notice verse 6 one more time? There must be an intentional persuasion. As we get past the doctrine and the precept, my heart's desire for us, and God's heart's desire for us, is that we be fully persuaded in our mind to follow the Scriptures. Amen? To be fully persuaded in our mind, we're going to follow what God's Word says here. Again, notice verse 6. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man be put asunder. Now let me give you a couple things and we're done today. All right? Number one, write this down. Be persuaded that you're going to build your home, your marriage, and if, even if you're a single parent, be persuaded you're going to build your home and your marriage on the Lord. Psalms 127.1, accept the Lord, build the house. Don't, don't, you know, the very first marriage, mar- very first miracle Jesus performed was at the wedding feast of Cana, Galilee. A miracle happened there. And be persuaded that as Jesus was present at that wedding to, to make things happen on the, on, on the back end there, would you and I be persuaded that God is going to build our home? We're going to look to the Lord. Our eyes are in Christ. We're going to say, Lord, help me to build my marriage and my home on Jesus Christ. Psalms 127, I've titled the Home Builders Psalm. You read that God gives direction for our marriage, for building our homes, for raising children. As a, as a, as a, as a married couple, make the Bible pre- preeminent in your marriage. Take the principle of Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 7 and make the Bible preeminent in your home. Read the Bible together. Another thing you want to do is for, for, the marriage, for your marriage to stay strong, study the Bible together. Memorize the Bible together. Pray as a couple together. The couple that prays together stays together. Have faith together in God. Serve the Lord together. Serve the Lord with gladness in the local New Testament church. Be an active member of the local New Testament church in serving God. So number one, be persuaded to build your marriage and home on the Lord. Number two, be persuaded to be happy and loving in your marriage. You say, you don't understand. I don't understand, but we have a God in heaven who understands. Amen? And so notice Ecclesiastes 9.9. Ecclesiastes 9.9 tells us as husbands, live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life, uh, of thy vanity. You know what he's saying there? You can reverse and take the word wife and put husband in there. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy vanity, which he has given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion this life and in thy labor, which shall take us under the sun. Let me pause and say this. Every single person, I encourage every single unmarried person to get into Genesis 24 
And read Genesis 24, how prayer was the starting point and a father's heart and helping his, uh, how Abraham got a wife for his, his, his son Isaac. And I want to encourage every single person, begin praying for God to raise up a godly, saved individual to be your spouse. The, you know, I, I believe that prayer is an instrumental part of that. And I could tell you testimonies of many, many couples in our church who prayed for the spouse that God gave. Prayed for God to work. You said, well, I've been praying, but God hasn't worked. Take some time aside. Maybe you may need to do a, a couple days of prayer and fasting and get God's mind on it. Maybe there's something in your heart you need to confess before God that's impeding that. But pray for God to work in that matter. Notice he says, live joy for the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life. Happiness, joy, and contentment are decisions you have control of. You can't let somebody else control it. You must be in control of the happiness, the joy, the contentment you have in your marriage. You know, if you're not happy, you made this your choice. You're letting that external affect you. I'm just saying today as we go back to it, we must promote our marriages where it's a holy marriage leads to a happy marriage. Then thirdly, what you notice, we must confess our sins and faults to one another. We must be persuaded we're going to build our home on the Lord. We must be persuaded to have, be happy and loving in our marriage. But we must be persuaded that where there's a rift, where there's conflicts, where there's problems, listen, take, take the high road and let's confess our sins and faults one to another. That means don't take what you have, what's going wrong there, and share it and put it on the carpet so everybody else knows about that. That's not appropriate for your marriage. Go to your spouse and work it out. You say, well, they're not receiving of me. They're not hearing me. You know what? Just do it anyway. Have faith in God. Keep on praying. Just trust God to see you through that. Ask God to guard your heart. But we must not be people who go go about letting our pride get in the way and we're fault-finding these matters there. And we need to remind ourselves of those short phrases that we teach children, but it's also important for us as adults. I love you. Thank you. Would you forgive me? I forgive you. You know, things like that where we don't let our pride get away. And most most of our conflicts arise, if not all of them, because of pride. Because the Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. And we have to examine our hearts and say, well, God, what's in the way that's keeping me from doing that? But notice one last thing we're done today. Let's build our homes on the Lord. Let's be persuaded to be happy and loving in our marriages. Let's confess our sins and faults one to another. But you notice, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Would you notice Hebrews 12, too? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Hey, can I remind you of this today? Jesus had to endure the cross. He had to endure the contradiction of sinners. And listen, part of going through marriage is enduring difficulties, enduring maybe hardships, and enduring personalities that don't change, and realizing it's not that God can't change a person. Maybe the person's so hard in their heart they don't want to change. But just listen, we've got to get our eyes on the Lord and trust Jesus and remind ourselves, Jesus went through scorn. Jesus went through ridicule. Jesus went through shame. Jesus was torn apart the very people he loved and gave himself for they they crucified him and we have to remind ourselves listen we've got to get back to the cross we've got we have to remind ourselves there's forgiveness at the cross there's a starting point at the cross there's a new beginning at the cross we need to look to jesus and maybe i'm talking to people this morning that in your life you feel shattered and you feel broken maybe you're at a place in life that you just came to church today because you're looking for an answer i will tell you today regardless of all the hardships in life and all the difficulties there is always a fresh beginning at the cross of Jesus Christ. Christ receives sinful men. Christ takes us the way we are. There's life at the cross, everlasting life, and life for a dying marriage. There's joy at the cross. The Bible says, who for the joy that was set 
before him. Remind you today, Jesus Christ epitomizes the greatest love because the Bible says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And remind yourself, when Jesus Christ gave himself for us, he gave all of himself, not part of himself. He gave his entire life. He, he gave himself so that you and I could have our sins paid for. And then when we, by faith, call on Jesus Christ to save us from our sins, we can have forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. Now, as I close this morning, let's ask the question. How much of our marriages has God in it? And how much of our marriages are marriages that are biblically centered? And how are we dealing with the trials and difficulties today? I urge you today, look to the Lord and say, God, I need your help. And God, I need your healing on our home. And I need your healing in your marriage. And God loves your marriage. And just like Jesus turned water into wine in the marriage of Cain of Galilee, maybe God has to turn some things around in your home, in your life. And God can do that. But we need to put our faith in him and not in ourselves. I want to urge you today that you consider that. Take some moments, some time at your seat, at the altar, and pray for your marriage. I urge married couples today to take your spouse by the hand and say, listen, let's just go to the altar and just say, God, thank you for our marriage. And we'll just thank the Lord for the vows that we made. And we're just going to take some time today just to renew those vows and say, God, you, you, you told us what, you, what Bi- the Bible says about that we're to become one flesh. And, and what God has joined together, let that man put asunder. Let's take some time today and say, Lord, we're just going to humble ourselves before you and have your blessing upon him. You're facing struggles and difficulties. I want to tell you, the Lord of the marriage, God who's the author of marriage, can fix and help those situations. Listen, turn to God today. And then today, if you're not saved, I urge you today, come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. He invites you today. Put your faith and trust in Him. He can save you from your sins. He can give you newness of life. He can give you the gift of eternal life. All you've got to do is simply tell Jesus you know you're a sinner. You realize that you need Him exclusive to save you from your sins, and He can. Father, this morning, thank You for the congregation listening so well today and receiving the Word of God. And we realized this morning that as we looked at Matthew 19, just in short detail, the Matthew 19 is filled with great Bible instruction about marriage, about the permanence of our marriage, about living for God. And I pray for every home here today that's represented here, that every marriage would be a holy marriage. I pray for every single unmarried person who desires to get married. I pray that, Lord, you'll help them to seek to be married in the will of God, to follow the guidelines of Scripture. Help those who are struggling in some area or another just to take those bumps in the road, those rocky situations they're facing, and give it to the Lord and say, God, I need your help. And then I pray for others today who are maybe just starting in their marriages, our young couples. God, would you help them to stay strong in their vows? and their walk with God and help all of us to remind ourselves that marriage marriage is a reminder to us of the picture of Jesus' love for His church. Thank you that you love your church. Thank you you love us and you gave yourself for us. You bled and shed your blood, you shed your blood for our behalf. You gave your all so that we can have eternal life. And there might be someone here today who's not certain they're saved before they leave today. I pray this morning they would call on the Lord to help them. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Are you here today and you're not 100% sure you're going to heaven? I realize 99% of the message was focused on marriage. But it's also focused on the fact that marriage is undergirded by love. And God loves you. And God demonstrated his love for you in an unconditional way when he sent his son Jesus to die for you. If you're not sure you're saved today, but you want to be sure, I want to help you today. And you're here today like that. I want to ask this morning, if you're not sure you're saved, would you take a moment and say, Pastor, I want you to know I'm not saved, but I want to know how to be saved. I want to know for sure how I can go to heaven. Is there anyone there like that that would say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but I want to know. You'd raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want to know. Would you pray for me? 
Please pray for me. I want to be 100% sure I'm saved and going to heaven. Anyone like that? I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but I want to know. Others today, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm going to ask you to do this. In your heart of hearts, are you facing challenges? Are there some perils that you're facing that the Lord of glory needs to know about today? That you need to tell him about and say, Lord, I need your help. And there are marriages here today that are strong, but you desire to be stronger. Would you decide today to say, Lord, we realize the Bible advocates and promotes a holy marriage. Help us to build a holy marriage on your word and through prayer. Now, Father, today I commit to you our congregation, our members and, and, and attendees today. May you do a holy work in our hearts. May some things have been said and spoken that will inspire and help us to live for your glory. We pray for this invitation time. There will be transparency. There will be truth. There will be honesty. And there will be investment. That even as we said today that we would treat our marriages like a savings account, we put more into it than we take out. Father, would you bless and use that for your glory. We pray for this in Jesus' name. We're going to play two stands of a hymn. Let's stand. Heads bowed, nice closed. The Lord's laid on your heart something you need to decide today. Would you come? You're not sure you're saved. I invite you to come this morning. Let one of our altar workers share you can be saved. If you want to come today with your spouse and spend a moment at the altars, and say, Lord, we just give you our marriage. We need your help and strength. We need your blessing. Would you come today? Whatever it may be, would you come today? You're a single person saying, Lord, I need your help that I marry right. Would you just commit that to the Lord today? Do that, please. There's forgiveness at the cross. There's love at the cross. But there's room at the cross. Let's take a moment today. Let's take a moment today. I pray for everyone this morning that you just pray for the marriages in our, in our, in our congregation, in the homes represented here. You pray there. We'll sing one more stanza. If you're not sure you're saved, we invite you to come. If God's been working your heart this past week in our revival meetings about your prayer life, about changes you need to make in your walk with God, to get close to God, why don't you come this morning? Father, this morning, thank you again for a wonderful morning service we've had. We've been challenged through your word, touched through your word. We ask today that you take your word and let it work indelibly in our hearts. Help us, Lord, today to build our lives upon Jesus Christ, your son. Lord, as we dismiss in a moment, dismiss us with your blessing and the hand of God. Thank you today for scripture truth. We've given much for us to consider. But thank you, God, you put your hand upon marriage. And we pray for every marriage represented in the home uh, in our church today and marriages that will occur in the future, that you'll bless them for your glory. Dismiss us now with your blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.